Candelabra? Candelabra. Candelabra. Steven Soderbergh's apparent last film, even though I'm sure he'll probably announce one tomorrow, uh, HBO Films is behind the Candelabra. Uh, we'll also have the One Old, One New. Uh, we'll start off with talking about trailers, and we'll have the uh, latest part of our Double Demi Marathon as we get into Ted Demi's debut feature, the hip-hop Who Done It, Who's the Man? Um... DudeTheMonkeyAtGmail.com at DudeTheMonkey at IanLoring at DudeFoz on Twitter uh, iTunes reviews appreciated um, have I got anything else to say Mark? I don't think we do I think, I think you, that's, that was a pretty fucking slick intro that day coolio coolio well um, we shall get into it because uh, I've got no idea how long this one's going to run today so let, let's just crack on uh, Mark what trailers have you seen this week sir? Uh, trailers this week, uh, I have seen the, uh, Don, what, what Don, John. John, Don, John, I think it's gone out of here, um, which is just Gordon Levitt's, um, debut, um, as a director, uh, he's also written it, and he is starring in it with Scarlett Johansson, um, it looks, it looks like it might be quite sort of fun, entertaining, but with a slightly kind of darker, edge to it um, from the appearances at the start you know the, the repetitive tones you get, get the feeling this is a guy who has a slight internet porn addiction um, so I'm well up for that it looks like I say like like it's going to be fun but 
with a little bit more to it. Um, also seeing the uh, trailer for the, the Red Band trailer for um, Where the Millers uh, with Jason Sudakis and uh, Jennifer Aniston. Uh, I'm actually quite a big Jennifer Aniston comedy fan. Uh, I find her quite an engaging personality in films, despite the fact that largely her films are terrible. Uh, but I also quite like Jason Sudeikis, as I think I explained when we talked about uh, a good old-fashioned orgy. Uh, so, do you know what? As far as shit comedies go, I don't think I'm going to rush into the cinema to see it unless we cover it on, uh, on the podcast. I very much doubt we will, unless that's the only thing out that week, I'll say that. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but I'll happily catch it one uh, evening on Sky or whatever, or I'll, 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 I'll pick it up on the cheap. Um, certainly. Um... What else to see? Oh, the Metallica uh, Through the Never 3D IMAX trailer. Um, do you know what? I've not been a Metallica fan for a number of years, uh, but I will be going to see this film, and I will hopefully attempt to go and see it in IMAX because it just looks a little bit batshit. Like, it doesn't quite know what... Well, it, it obviously knows what it's doing, but it's just not. It's not just a concert film. There's obviously slightly more to it. With Dane DeHaan in it, which is interesting. Yeah, I'm guessing that's a he's a Metallica fan and they approached him for it, and he was very much kind of like, yeah. I'm guessing that's one of those. So, yeah. You know, it's a. It looks a little bit like um, Carpenter esque. It looks a little bit Escape from New York. Sure. Uh, so I'm I'm well up for that, uh, and I also watched the trailer for Ain't Them Bodies Saints, um, which looks like very kind of very sort of Badlands esque mm. uh, in a way, um, but it's also got that that dusty Americana feel that we're getting from a lot of films at the moment. You know, we had it from Place Beyond the Pines and things like that, where it's incredibly serious and sedate movies, but that's not a not a criticism, but just it feels like there's going to be no moments of levity in that film. That's going to be a very heavy-going film from, from moment one, but um, hopefully an ultimately satisfying film. Mm. Mm-hmm. Have anything you've you've seen trailer? Yeah, I mean, I I say I also watched the Eight Nine Body Saints trailer, and um, I, I I don't know. I, I'm a little bit that kind of looks like it's just magpieing mood and feel from a lot of other films, and uh, hopefully it's something. I mean, it got a good word out of Sundance, but we, so we'll see. Um, saw the new trailer for The World's End, uh, which oh, yeah. uh, allayed my fears about what the threat was because I thought that might be potentially quite boring uh, the the threat in the film looks a bit more interesting to me now what with them being robots rather than aliens uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah it, it, at, at first I didn't think they were aliens and then obviously in that they're very sort of quickly go to the they're robots mm, but I mean we'll, we'll, we'll see with the world's end I'm still I am a little bit juries out at the moment, um, but but we'll we'll see. I mean, it, it, you know, to be fair, it's what like seven weeks until it comes out, so it's it's not that long to wait for that now, anyway. So we'll we'll see. Um, to be honest with you, uh, oh, um, I saw like the fifty second teaser for Delivery Man, Vince Vaughn sperm donor thing, whatever. 
really, really whatever. Uh, trailer for Last Vegas. Um, oh, yes, I saw that as well. You mean the uh, old hangover? Yeah, um, which I think could have some fun. Do you know in what? It, maybe. I'm, 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 I'm quite on board for it, to be honest. Um, it, it looks very much like the actors there are having quite a lot of fun, really. Um, so, fuck it, I'm, I'm actually quite looking forward to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I don't think it's going to be good, mm. <laughs> but I think I could definitely see it being quite entertaining. Yeah, perhaps. So there's that. And uh, finally, uh, the trailer for Guillaume uh, Canet's new film, Blood Ties, which played at Cannes. Um, looks good. Looks, it, again, this looks like it's magpieing from kind of 70s crime dramas. But Oh, I, I haven't seen this trailer yet. I, I, I saw the poster and instantly fell in love with yeah, it. Yeah, the poster, the poster is great. Um, so, uh, yeah, there, 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 there's that as well. And... Um, uh, yeah, that that that, that I, I think that's going to be a good time. I mean, it's been a while since we've had like a seventies crime drama kind of feeling film. I mean, I suppose maybe American Gangster or We Own the Night would be like the last one. So I'm um, I'm up for that, and I'm up for seeing like a French director tackle that and see what he's got to say as well. So uh, yeah, that looks interesting. Um, and I think that's probably it actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think you'll I think you'll uh, like the Blood Ties trailer, I must say. But um, but yeah, okay, let's get into uh, the first review, and we're gonna warm up with uh, Todd Phillips's The Hangover Part Three. Uh, here's a clip from a trailer or a clip or something. I will say when I edit these tra- uh, these uh, shows, you may get a clip from the trailer, you may get a clip, just depends on what I feel like. I will say so. Who knows? Here you go, anyway. What are we going to do, Stu? We're going to go to the police. Oh, no, we're not. Did you hear that guy? He will kill Doug, period. Chow is a cancer. He has been a cancer since the first day we met him. So we're going to hand him over to this guy, Marshall, and then it's done. Hey, Phil. Is it Alan, not now, but I need you, Stu. I can't do this alone. Do what alone? We have no idea where he even is. Phil. What, Alan? Well, I was just going to say I got this strange email the other day. I wasn't sure what it meant, but now I think it might be from Chow. Fatty, feels good to be out. I'm close by. Tell no one. I'll be in touch. Ciao. This says Ciao. How did you not know this was from Ciao? At the time, I thought it was Ciao like goodbye. You know, like Ciao, Rivadurge, Sabaro, Papa Ciao. I'm writing back. Whoa, wait, wait. Just hold on. Then tell him that you're happy he's out and that you'd love to see him. Ooh, I would love to see him. Do you even know what's going on? Yes, I do. Phil's doing all the work, I'm his assistant, and you're standing there looking like an idiot. And this is The Hangover Part 3, directed by Todd Phillips. It's the, uh, I'd imagine it would be the last part of of the Hangover films. Uh, this isn't this yes. isn't to say what my my feelings of the film are, but it feels like the contractual obligations have been met, and the cast can now do their own thing. Uh, Mark, I know, and we uh, we both are actually not as not nearly as harsh on the Hangover Part Two as a lot of people are. Um, no. So I, I I am intrigued. What do you think of the Hangover Part Three? Um, well, I, I in preparation, uh, I watched. Um, both the Hangover movies again. I watched part this two. Week. I watched part two last week. Yeah. 
Uh, I, I watched Star Wars them both. So I thought I thought I'd give them both another go, despite the fact that I only watched part two a couple of months ago. But um, I wanted to I wanted to have them fresh in my mind in case any jokes dropped that referenced those sure. movies. I, I wanted to be sure my brain was adequately prepared. Um, I also watched uh, watched it in a screen at ten past ten yesterday morning on my hey, own. You were the only person, eh? I was the only person there um, at, at that time. Uh, but then again, this was ten past ten on a Sunday morning. That's even earlier uh, than I would go see a film. I, I will wait until 11 on a Sunday. Actually, no, tell her, like, I've done a half ten on a Sunday morning before. And the, the reason, I mean, this, this, was, this was chosen on purpose, sure. to be honest. I chose to go at ten past ten because I thought... Nobody who is going to see The Hangover Part 3 is going at 10 past 10 in the morning on a Sunday because then it would be like you're going to see The Hangover in an ironic way. <laughs> um, so I decided against you know, going later on and thought, right, I want to go when I can sit and, and enjoy it. Um, and so went in, uh, and I'd say we've been, I've actually been quite looking forward to this. Don't despise The Hangover movies. Um, and because there's been so much kind of crap thrown at it, I, I found myself wanting to like it even more. Um, it's... I like the fact that it's not just a hangover movie. It, 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 you know, it really is. It's... When you start looking at the posters and everything, it's practically... The film is almost called Part 3. Sure. Because they've kind of tried to avoid the hangover bit um, because it's not a hangover picture. You know, the idea... That Alan's going to, that Alan's basically got out of control, and he, they're trying to take him somewhere, and it becomes almost like a, a, a caper movie. Um, I I loved it. Um, I, I was gobsmacked looking at um, tweets and people saying that oh, it's just not funny and it's shit and this, and I was thinking, right, great, it's so the Hangover Part Three is is the fashionable film at the moment to to shit on, you know. We've moved away from the, uh, the the problems that everyone had from Star Trek into darkness, and it's like, right, that's the sh- that's that's that that movie that we're all looking forward to. That's that's shit. Let's move on to the next movie that people are looking forward to. And let's 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 work out what's shit about that, and then we can move on to the next one. We can tell people what's shit about that as well. And it, it's this this general negative theme that seems to be running through people at the moment. That's that's really starting to grate on me a little bit. Um, the thing is, if you don't like The Hangover, you don't like The Hangover Part Two. Don't go and see part three. It's as simple as that. Um, I, I'm i not a big Star Wars fan, so do you know what? When the new Star Wars film comes out, I'll probably go and watch it out of curiosity, but I'm not going to be itching to watch it because it's not, you know, it's not my thing. Um, but I realised that I had actually, over two two previous films, had actually gone quite attached to these characters like the way they went with it, like the fact that it got a little bit darker, but I, it just made the comedy even more black. Uh, I think a lot of people might turn against this film because within the first five minutes, you see a giraffe's head come through a windscreen. Uh, remember, we are all spoilers all the time. Um, so that we'll, we'll get more into it in a second. But what did what did you think about the Hangover? Yeah, I'm. I'm I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm looking at my letterbox now because I've kind of forgotten it. Um, I, I saw it Thursday at 20 past four in the afternoon, um, and it was fairly, fairly full. Um, I, you know, I, I'm definitely not on the, 
it, it's the worst fucking piece of shit I've ever seen train that a lot of people are on. But I, I, I can't say I share the love for it that, uh, that you have, unfortunately, Mark. Um, it, the thing is, I appreciate The Hangover for Part 2 and Part 3 kind of on a meta level, where with this one, it is like, and it is like Phillips basically said, all right, you don't want the same movie again. Here's this. Here's a film that doesn't even try to be funny for large chunks of it, even though not as large chunks like as I've been led to believe. Like early in the week last week, the first reviews were coming out. People were saying, you know, it's basically an anti-comedy. It doesn't even try to be funny. It does for. It, it does for the majority of the runtime, but there are long stretches where it doesn't, which I thought was interesting. Um, and the thing is, yeah, okay, this is reacting to other people's uh, thoughts on it, but I'll get into mine in a minute. But just at, like kind of adding to what you were saying there, Mark, it also seems like the same people who are criticising The Hangover Part 2 for being more of the same are the first ones who are criticising this film for actually doing something different. Like, there, there was at The Guardian, there was a review, I think it was Catherine showed in the, Guard, uh, in the Guardian last week, basically saying, you know, The Hangover Part 2, it was more of the same, and that was bad for it. But to be honest, I would have preferred it to have been funnier, and I would have preferred it to have been a bit ruder and dirtier and cruder. And it's just... All right, where? How can they win? How can they yeah. possibly win at this point? And the thing is, you look at this film, and it's like the budget was over a hundred million dollars, which was probably because the cast got a massive pay bump. You know, the, the oh, first yeah. one was thirty-five million. This film cost like three times as much as the first one, and mm. I, I, it looks good, and there are some good action set pieces, but you can't say three times the budget is on the screen. And that, 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 that's no, fair I mean, enough. The, it's the actors are getting a pay bump. Well, the thing is, is, is the Hangover was, you know, was a, a sleeper hit. So no one, nobody thought the Hangover was going to make the sheer colossal amount of money it made. And the, the large reason for behind that is, is, you know, nobody had heard of Zach Galifianakis. Nobody had heard of him. Um, Bradley Cooper wasn't a, a big like star a couple of years beforehand. Point. Bradley Cooper was in Midnight Meat Train. That's, yes, you know, um, so. and about you know, let's be honest. Bradley Cooper was probably best known as being um, that guy from Wedding Crashers. Sure. Um, so now Bradley Cooper is, you know, he's he's an A-lister, you know, Oscar-nominated, massive. I will guarantee he can he can command a, quite a weighty fee now. Um, the opening weekend for The Hangover, the first one. Was was only like forty odd million uh, dollars, but then it ended up grossing what like nearly five hundred million. Yeah, sure, you know it was a sleeper hit. You fast forward, you know what? Four years. Uh, Bradley Cooper's a big star. Ed Helms isn't as big a star, but his fee will have gone up just for the fact that he's well. I'm you know without me, it's the without me they won't do it thing. Galapanakis fees gone up. I can't imagine Justin Barfer fees went. His fee went up much. No, uh, not very much. Very doubt it. But um, Ken Young's um, fees sure. gone up. Um, Todd Phillips' fee has probably sure. gone up. Um, you know, Ted, um, Todd Phillips came in off the back of this. You know, he'd had a, a you know quite a big hit with like Road Trip and Old School, Starsky and Hutch. But then he, the, he did School for Scoundrels after that, which bombed. 
you know, and then the hangover kind of reminded people that he was there, and it 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 could have gone either way. The hangover could have disappeared, but it didn't. For some reason, the hangover caught a meme, and it, it just it it got a word of mouth thing, and people went to see it off the back of word of mouth. Um, part two rode that crest of a wave, and then part three has just bang arrived. And like you say, the reason why it, it, it's you know three times the budget is because they're three times the stars now. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, it, 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 what I what I like about the film is that it is Todd Phillips. I think Todd Phillips is basically he's biting the hand of the critics, and I also think he's kind of biting the hand of the audience as well. He's I can't help but think Todd Phillips did does not like the people who liked the hangover i can't i i can't like i i like just the i don't know being sorry being uh, being completely um gonna go and be that guy i think todd phillips made the hangover um for people of a certain age it wasn't supposed to be a a gross out comedy. It, it, the Hangover films are they're caper movies. You know, they're they're who done it. They're mystery films essentially. Uh, you know, you've got the first one. It where's Doug? We've got to find Doug. We've got to put the pieces together. And they're like, you know, and they have to go on these this little adventure trying to do it. it. That's the caper element, and it's the mystery element. Same as Hangover Part Two. It's again, it's another mystery. And then you get Part Three. You know, is this this kind of almost action film um, aesthetic to it. Uh, but Todd Phillips, I think he made the first one and it, it happened to appear on audience that he had no interest sure. in yeah. appealing yeah. to. And like, you, like, like you're saying there, he's basically now just pushing them as far away as he can while still accepting their I mean money. that's that's the yeah, yeah exactly and you know and and in fairness people to people who criticize him the fact that he makes a lot of money out of these films you know that's a fair criticism but then again you know if if people weren't going to see it then you know there it is but I mean like I like I think it's very very telling that by far by far the biggest reaction the biggest laugh in my audience came with that slightly post credit scene which is the one bit, the one bit which even tries to even be like the first Hangover film, and it's in the credits. I think that's telling on a kind of a meta level. You see, uh, I, I, I laughed within the first couple of minutes, to be honest. Oh, no, so did, uh, no I did, myself. Just, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't judge on audience reaction because I... Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I yeah, won't be on the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I laughed pretty much consistently, consistently through it. You know, this was, it was very much, right, um, let's put, the second one was very much, let's put Bradley Cooper front and centre. The first one was the movie. Um, the second one, it was right, let's put Bradley Cooper front and centre and everything all, all kind of like revolve around him. And this is, this is Alan, um, and Mr. Chow's story. Sure. You know, it, it, it's them two. And the comedy of it all, you know, the, the bleakness and the darkness comes from the fact that Alan is quite, quite seriously mentally ill. 
and the death of his father, the fact that he's wearing the vest that his father died in, um, you know, he, he, the death of his father has caused him to slip further back into that that mentally ill state that he's got. You know, it, it's it is actually a thing, an illness where people can't let go and they actually start wearing the clothes and assuming the you know, the personality of a deceased family member. Um, and that's quite that's quite bleak. There's a bleak part to that. And then when you introduce Mr. Chow into that, um, and you've got Ken Hyong, and he's just this insane thing that's there. There's a great line from John Goodman where he describes Mr. Chow as being madness. Yes. Uh, and he says, and you know, you don't talk to madness. You, the best you can do is lock it in the trunk of your car and shoot yeah. it. And it th- that is a great kind of it's a great metaphor for that character the character just is insane um and you know this film is one thing i think that 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 people haven't kind of given the hangover films credit for is they're actually quite cinematic oh god yeah phillips is a very very good visual director yeah they're not just plant the camera and you know prod the monkeys and make them say jokes kind of thing you know there's a there's a lot of great kind of sweeping shots. Well, I, um, I, I, I tell you, pretty much my favourite scene in the film, and it's telling that it wasn't a, like a joke scene, is the bit where they are kind of storming Chow's uh, penthouse suite, and the light is strobing, and you're just getting those mm. like single frame images of things going yeah. on, which sounds like it's not that, you know, like horror films have done that an awful lot. But to see that in this film, and the general intensity and craziness which has been building up anyway it it works really well yeah because you can you are kind of expecting uh mr chow to jump out of oh, somewhere yeah. but then it, the walking in and there's all there's the, that music that it 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 is very much like somebody's dropped a gasper Noé scene in the middle of the film and gone there you yeah, go it is a bit, and it yeah. is it, it it goes back to what you were saying. It's like Philip is just going, I'm just going to fuck around with this movie as much as I can. You know, Todd Phillips is never going to get a $100 million to make a movie again. He's going to slip back down and he's going to make $60, $80 million movies from now on. You know, I, I just can't see him. Well, no, I'll, I'll, re- I'll correct that. I can't see him getting $100 million and the freedom that he's clearly had over the hangover. But with this, okay. with this, he's blatantly got a, you know, I'm, I've got final cut. I'm gonna do whatever the fuck I want. This is a cash cow. I mean, like Hangover Part Two grossed like I think nearly six hundred million dollars worldwide. You, you know, mm. I mean, like, it, 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 that, that's insane. I, I think that's insane. And, and so because of that, he's allowed to do whatever he wants, and the three main guys are turning up and Ken's young, because they're going to get a truckload of money dumped outside their house. And do you mm. know what? I say, good on them. Yeah, uh, do you know what? It, it, you, you said it earlier, you know, the, the thing about this film is, is it, people were going to dislike this film no, no matter, matter what. what. Yeah. If it was too like the first one, if it was too like the second one, which was very like the first one, then it'll get criticised for that. They've gone in a completely different direction and they've got criticised for that. It, I'm fine with that. It, it, it's fine because at the end of the day, 
I enjoyed this movie. I got a lot out of it. Don't get me wrong. I, I, you know, I don't think at the end of the year it's going to be in my top ten or anything like that. Uh, but I sat down and I got to watch these characters that I'd grown quite fond of in the first two sorry, movies and thought, off. "Sorry, fucking." <laughs> I thought, you know what? I'm. This is a nice closure. If I thought there was going to be a Hangover Part 4 or there was one on the horizon, I wouldn't have enjoyed this movie as much. The fact that you that, that it's quite clearly this is it. And the fact that you've got John Goodman in there um, and the fact that they've, they've allowed uh, Mr. Chow to become so crazy is wonderful. I mean, the the last scene where he's talking to Alan saying, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll call you in a couple of days. And he's like, no, we, we, we can't be here. The crazy stuff happens and people get hurt. And he's like, yeah, well, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. And you start looking at it, and in my brain, my brain was going, you know what's really strange? Ken Young is, you know, he's not a, you know, he, he's a very good comedic actor like that. But let's be honest, he's a weird-looking little Chinese yeah. guy. You know, and he's made a you know a good career in comedy out of being quite funny looking. And yet I was looking and thinking, do you know what? In those white leather pants, the cowboy boots, and that jacket, I thought, do you know what? Todd Phillips has made him look so fucking cool. <laughs> it is unreal. Um, and, you know, when you've got Bradley Cooper's the next to that, you're thinking... My God, Ken Young looks cooler than Bradley fucking Cooper, who is, you know, he's a, he's a cool guy. Um, I, 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 you know what, I really liked it, and I, I'm glad other people don't like it. I'm glad other people don't get the same feeling that I got out of the film. I mean, I, because, sorry, go on. Because there's, there's so much subversive stuff in this. The fact that um, John Goodman's goons are wearing pig heads and it's not mentioned. Mm. The fact that there's a great scene where you're getting a camera viewpoint of Alan running and the pigs running behind yeah, yeah. it. Uh, and the fact that, you know, that it's Wolf Mother playing throughout the film. Um, you know, and this has been a theme throughout the whole thing. Wolf Mother have been on the soundtrack for all mm. of them. You know, and it's the Wolf Mother Wolf Pack thing. And it just... It all feels very right. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, you know, just because I'm, to be honest, I'm pretty sure there's probably going to be some people fucking screaming during this review, so. Oh, without, but, without but, um, yeah. I, I, I'll just, I'll temper it somewhat, because like I say, two out, uh, two and a half out of five on Letterboxd for me. Um, so, you know, ob- ob- you know, obviously I'm not up there with you. I mean, I, I, I will say, there are individual moments I really like. Again, when you say subversive, Ken Jeong singing Hurt and that that being a joke which kind of it's on screen for a long while and there were no laughs in my audience apart from me I I was yeah I was I was in you know it, it's such a fucking weird choice and I really I I do like when they just go outright we are just going to like be just straight up weird, then that awesome. And I, I will say, Galifianakis and Jiong together, 
I think are great. I, I really, really liked all of their interactions together. Um, I, I liked Chow in this more than I think I did the other films, even though I still don't think he's great. Um, I will say that th- th- this film's obviously not anything about characterization, but you don't know anything about Ed Helms or Bradley Cooper's characters at all. And considering you've spent four and a half hours with them, like four and a half, five hours on the big screen, the fact you know so little about them is interesting. Uh, I'm not that bothered about it, but, it, you know, three films and we don't know anything about Bradley Cooper at all. Um, and his character anyway. Um, it, it, I, I was entertained throughout pretty much the entire thing and, to be honest, I don't think I looked at my what uh, my my look at looked at the time once, uh, which is kind of fairly rare for me actually. So that that's that's interesting, and you know Phillips it, it has got good visual style, but it just it it didn't it didn't quite grab me like the Hangover Part Two did. For me, Part Two is the best film of the franchise. Just gonna let that people respond to um, that as they're listening to this but um i i it, it's i appreciate this film more for what it is than what it's actually it's content i suppose yeah um i think yeah for me part two is still the better of the three films um but possibly on on, on continuous watches i think this this could move ahead of that um i don't know i, I think he's either i have a big problem with comedy um in, in the fact that there's a lot of times where people say or oh, oh, watch the big comedy of the year and then i'll go and watch it and be like all right when's the funny bits happening um you know for instance uh at bridesmaids i watched it um thought it was all right but i didn't laugh a single time um, the same with quite a few of the the, the Apatow vehicles, um, and this is very much the the anti Apatow. Yes. Um, kind of um, film, you know, the comedy films. You know, there's despite the fact there are sort of links to that that group, it's very much this is this isn't subtle. It is brash. It is over the top. It is gratuitous in its use of language it is dirty it's seedy it's not trying to pick out parts of 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 the director's lives that have actually happened and all that bollocks it's fucking stupid and it's fucking crazy and i would much much prefer to see ken hyong um diving off caesar's palace shouting i love cocaine um, then I would like to see Leslie Mann and Paul Rudd argue for two hours because, oh, that's what happens at Judd Apatow's house and isn't it funny? Like, with shit. I want to see that. I want to see that happen in films more. I like craziness. I like films that don't make sense every now and again. Things that don't have a linear point to them. I... And that, for me, that is that was this film. I could do without I Love Cocaine, I must say. Um, Ken Jeong, like, a, a skydiving off of Caesar's Palace is fine. And him landing on the car and Ed Helms and him screaming, that's fine. 
the I love cocaine, the the going out for just kind of like being really blunt with the lines. I can I can go without and Bradley Cooper and Ed Helms constantly saying what the fuck is going on. <laughs> I, I fair enough. You're laughing. I I could do without that stuff, and I could do without Galifianakis like in, in randomly insulting people. Like that stuff. I I just it that's not really that funny to me. But one thing that I did think was slightly out of out of context was the uh, and, and slightly didn't really make sense in regards. To, I, I know why it was in there, but. I don't think it needed it, was the Melissa McCarthy bits. Because they needed Alan to have a happy ending, because apparently mental yeah. illness can be caused by hooking up with another mentally ill person. It's like the two positives yeah. cancel out or something. It, 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 I, I, I would have preferred it if that bit and the, and the end bit would have just been Alan getting Alan driving off with Chow or something like that. That would have that would have pleased me more if it would have ended in that insanity rather than rather than kind of going oh well we better throw the people who like the first to a bone. I know I'll go with that. I would have preferred to have seen him go off with Chow as well. I, I actually thought weirdly I actually thought that ending was quite sad. Yeah, it was. If he'd have gone off with Chow, what they could have done there is if he'd have gone off with Chow, um, they could have then had. You know, but people then would have said, "Oh, well, that's just going to be another film, isn't it?" But what they could have done is the last bit, instead of it being that you know, referencing the first two movies thing, it could have just been the photos of um, Alan and Mister Chow's adventures, and which, which and then ends with both of them dying or something. Yeah, both of them dying. I don't know, like driving off, for, you know, doing a Thelma and Louise or something like that. You know, that that would have been better than, I think, the pandering uh, ending that they had and the squeezing of Melissa McCarthy in there. For some well, way. I mean, that, that ending, I am absolutely convinced that was... Um, Contractual. It, 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 it was kind of just... It, it was poking fun at the people who wanted that and going, who didn't get that? You've waited 90 minutes, <laughs> and now you're going to get this. You know, I, I, Which, to be honest, I actually quite liked. And I will say, Ed Helms with the tits did make me laugh. It did. Did it? Didn't they? For some reason, for some reason, of all the bits in this movie, and I include the I love cocaine bit in this movie, that bit, I went, well, that's just crass. That, that was the bit that got the loudest reaction in my audience. I couldn't help but feel my audience were waiting for something like that the entire film. Mm. I, 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 do you think we 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 we, we pissed off our listeners? Oh, I pissed off our listeners. You know, I, I think I uh, think I've agree- I, I've agreed with you more than I haven't. So I probably pissed people off as well. But it just, you know, the, like like you said at the start, it is the film du jour to hate at the moment. It's like what's going on with Arrested Development as well. I don't really want to get into that, but. You know, people fucking banging on about how they were waiting for it for months and months and months, and as soon as it comes out, saying, "Oh, well, this isn't as good as it used to be." Uh, I thought I, I'm, I'm halfway through this series. I'm a big Arrested Development fan. Halfway through this series, I think it's all there. Right. You go. You know, it's That's just it. it's all That's right. It. 
But I haven't. I haven't. I tweeted that I'm watching the episodes, but I haven't tweeted the hell out of it. That's it. it yeah, but you know, whatever. I, 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 I tried three episodes of Arrested Development with Donna this weekend. We weren't into it that much. The only bit I properly, properly laughed at was David Cross going on the pir- uh, on the gay boat, thinking it was a pirate boat. That that yeah, was it. The thing is, there. What I'd say there is, if you give anything, any TV series, three episodes, and it don't grab you, don't waste your time anymore. There you go. And I tell you what, if anyone, the, you see, the reason why I haven't tweeted dive, I, I've been trying it. I'm a bit mad because I know. I know someone's going to tweet me saying, I'll stick with it until the end of the first season, then it gets really good. Then you've watched six hours of something that someone's actively telling you isn't very good. To get to, right, to get to series two, where you can watch another six hours worth of stuff that is so similar to the other six hours worth of stuff, that you probably won't like it as well. Yeah, there you go. I'm not hating Arrested Development at all. It just, it, it's not for me. I'm not entirely it's, sure what the fuss is about. It's what I, it, it, it's why I have a problem with TV is stuff like this. Is it's going back to the whole fucking lost thing, and it's the if I watch a film and I don't like it, I've lost maximum three hours. Totally. Of my life. If I watch a TV series and I want to know what happens. I have lost potentially between six and sixty hours of my life, where at, during that point I could have watched anything from three to twenty films, sure. thirty films, you know. And fuck it, I'd prefer to do that. The same thing, Breaking Bad. I watched the first half series of Breaking Bad, and I I lost it, I lost it a little bit. I was enjoying it enough. But that was, what, four years ago? And I ain't gone back and watched it yet. Yeah, sure. Uh, Donna and I have been very, very, very slowly going through Breaking Bad. And to be honest, we've kind of dropped it in favour of Battlestar. You know, it, it just... It, 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 like we're one episode away from the end of the second season. And it just... It's a bit... I, I find it quite taxing to get through. And, and with Donna being pregnant at the moment as well, it's like we kind of need some easier watching. Which is why I suggested we try Arrested Development. But it, anyway, anyway, I think I think that's probably enough of um, alienating our audience. Th- th- this yes. is the Hangover Part Three of Dude and a Monkey. We're just trying yep. to push people away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but uh, let's let's uh, let's let's take a break for a second. This uh, glass of red wine's oh, got I, my I, head quite I, majorly. I'm sorry. Can I, can I just say that that, um, that I think the Hangover Part Three is definitely not. I will go for definitely not shit as well, even though I did give it a two and a half. But to be honest, talking about it, I'm kind of tempted to bump that up to a three. So I will say definitely not shit as well. And uh, right. OK, so here uh, here's one that I think is probably going to piss le- uh, people off less uh, unless you're homophobic, in which case, fuck you. Um, Steven. Uh, second yeah. That. Uh, this is Steven Soderbergh's, uh, last apparent film until his next one. Uh, it's Behind the Candelabra. Uh, here is a clip and we'll get into it. Well, I really thank you all for joining me in this boogie woogie and I'd like to try a little experiment. I've been playing this boogie woogie at eight beats to the bar. 
I'd like to try playing it now at 16 beats per bar. Candalabra, starring Michael Douglas, Matt Damon, Dan Aykroyd, and uh, a rather fantastically faced Rob Lowe. Um, Mark. Yes. Uh, we'll, oh, we'll get into that. Uh, Mark, <laughs> what did you think of Behind the Candalabra? And please remember, folks, uh, spoilers all the time, even though it is real life. Um, Behind the Candalabra. Um, it crept up on us a little bit, this one. Um, you know, it's strange that we've been running this podcast for six, seven months now. And this is the second um, Steven Soderbergh movie we've covered. Uh-huh. Um, I like Michael Douglas as an actor. Uh, I wish he did more. But then like, I, I like the fact that he does his films in bursts. And he has, cons- you know, consistently throughout his career, um, he's made a lot of films over a four or five year period. And then you'll get a few years where he won't do anything. And then he'll, he'll come back and he'll do a few films. And then he, he, he won't do anything. Um it, it, it's, a, it's a curious one. Uh, it's behind the uh, Candelabra because it's getting a European theatrical release, but it was on um, HBO last yeah. night. Um, firstly, I, it, it, it didn't quite feel like a movie. It did feel slightly more TV to me uh, than, a, than a movie. Um, just in the case that it's not, there's no big, huge peaks in it. Uh, it's very. Can I just ask? Do you yes. think the informant feels like a big screen film? No, okay. I think it feels like a small independent sure. film. Okay. Um, I think this, you know, this is. is I'm not sure the reasonings behind why uh, I ended up in a HBO uh, rather than a natural film. They um, couldn't get financing from a studio, Soderbergh says, because the film was too gay. And in terms of American studios, I can I, see that. I, I, I don't believe that. I, 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 Soderbergh can say it. I think it's very convenient for uh, the drum that Soderbergh's banging at the moment. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe for a second that a film starring Michael Douglas and Matt Damon can't get a budget of whatever this needed to be made for TV to be released theatrically. Um, like I said, I think that, that is very much part of a reason to sell it to European audiences, and it, it's Soderbergh indulging in his obsession with the studio system. Um, you know, if he wanted to... What what did this movie end up costing? I think it was about you twenty know, mil. Twenty million. I'm sure Damon Douglas and Soderbergh could have rounded up another twenty million between the three of them here and done it as a slightly more independent film, quite easily. For fuck's sake, 
if Vaughn can independently so-called fund kick-ass movie, I'm sure Soderbergh and, you know, Michael Douglas, Hollywood royalty, and Matt Damon can uh, fucking muster an extra time. I've got to say, I've got to say, I know exactly what you're saying about Soderbergh's rhetoric at the moment, and I can, uh, yeah, 100% with you on that. I would not be surprised if studios said, we'll give you $20 million, but you're going to have to change X, Y, and Z. I, 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 I do think that. Possibly, um, but I, I don't know. I, the thing about Soderbergh, I think we've said it before on other Soderbergh things, is he makes very good-looking films. He often makes very, very good films. Um, I just get the feeling that he's a prick. And he doesn't know how to not be a prick, um, and I, I, I just don't—I just don't buy it. I really don't buy that line. I think it fits in. It, it's a marketing thing for the film, you know. They what? So, so gay. The 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 fact that it's too gay. So I'm sorry, but that's not an issue anymore in cinema. I just oh, don't see babe. it as that I don't I mean come on let's let's be honest there's a lot fuck's sake broke back broke through that I think you know you can't put on any American TV show without there being a very gay character it's, in it yeah but I I think TV and movie studios whose main goal it is is to make money and art is very much second. Whereas with TV, I can't help but think that balance might be, uh, it, it, it might be a little bit, uh, slightly more, uh, more towards art than, than, than movies. It, it's, this, I mean, this, it, okay, Brokeback Mountain, but again, I will say as well, Brokeback Mountain was Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. Behind the Candelabra is, is Michael Douglas and Matt Damon. You, you know, it's, it's not as, spicy a uh an undertaking i suppose and i'm just uh, i find i just i I, I honestly it 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 baffles me on it unless it's the liberace thing it might well be that as well yeah unless it's that as well um it might well be that but i i i don't know it maybe it's just because i have absolutely no problem with um with with seeing what you see in this oh, film. No, no. Well, no, I mean, I can't say I, 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 I watch it in my personal life or anything like that, but I have no problem with it being in screen at all. No, it, it's, uh, you know, and gay characters, you know, are very prevalent in modern cinema. I just think it's a little bit, it's a strange one. But anyway, I'll go back to the actual film. I, I, well, I um, mean, like, like, let's, let's just say, I mean, like Almodovar's, um, I'm, I'm so excited. I mean, obviously, you know, it's got a foreign language and that kind of thing getting in the way as well. But that film would never play in wide release in the US ever because it is what it is. I don't think you've seen it, but it is very... No, I've not. I, I've not I, I want to see it. But, but then again, you're talking about a, a very... You know, that that's an Armadovar low-budget um, movie with no European stars. That's, yeah, that's... Yeah, all right, fair enough. You know, if let's say if you put in that, you put Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody in it, it, it would. 
it would play. I, I don't think it would on the big screen. Oh, I think Mate, it would. I, I, I'm so excited with Adrian Brody and Owen Wilson no, I, not I, play I, I, on the big I, screen, but not in wide in the US. It wouldn't. No, not maybe not wide, but it'd still get. I think it'd still get a big screen release. But the amount of films nowadays that aren't playing wide in America is, is crazy. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, you know, that's true. I mean, if this, you know, the fact that 3D has basically bogarted before you used to release Star Trek, for instance. Star Trek would get released, and it might go on two screens to take up demand. Now, it's on two screens to take up 2D and 3D, and then you've got demand, so you might have it in a cinema on five oh, screens exactly. just to fulfil demand. So, where are those other, you know, three screens going? You know, that, that's films now. That's why you're getting films that are getting either shorter runs than they used to get, or are going straight to um, video on demand. It's not just because the money isn't being spent. The money clearly is being spent. We've had a record year so far this year. But the reasoning behind it is because you've got, at the moment, you can have a cinema that has 12 screens. And you might have Star Trek on four and Iron Man on four. So there, you've got eight screens. You've got four screens for another four films. So you've got, what, six films playing at a 12-screen cinema. When before, you might have had ten. That's the reasoning why these films have been perceived as, oh, they can't make money, this can't make money, that can't make money. Look at its opening weekend. The obsession with the opening weekend is another thing. And it's not. It's because the market is being saturated, it's been um, diluted by the fact that you've got to have dual representation of certain movies. And I realised that we're talking about behind the candela, and I haven't said a thing about the film yet. Uh, yeah, what did, what did you think? <laughs> so, um, uh, I thought it was very interesting um, for the first hour. Um, I, I liked the the aesthetic of it. I liked um, Douglas, thought he was very good, very much caught that. I, I liked the fact that it was not trying to be nasty in any way. And not trying to put fun at Liberace, um, and not trying to portray um, Matt Damon as being this dumb character. Um, Scott wasn't supposed to be this idiot. He, you know, he was just supposed to be this young kid who was who was, who was getting dragged into this lifestyle. Um, and then the problem was the second half was was that um, all the things that the first half I liked the first half wasn't the second half it, it kind of became all of that and it became very much like Liberace was this predatorial kind of almost groomer um, and um, Matt Damon had kind of slipped into just this trophy you know bang that Liberace had this pet almost that he kept around um for his amusement well, I mean, whenever he wants he, to. He very much, I mean, like, he, he very much kind of makes him his pet. I mean, he calls him Baby mm. Boy throughout, like, the entire thing, which is the name of his dog. Which, the name of his dog, yeah. So, uh, uh, what did you think of it? Uh, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I liked it quite a bit. Um, I, I don't think it's... It, it, I, I, personally, I didn't enjoy it as much as some of Soderbergh's latest. Um, 
some people may scream at this one as well. Uh, Haywire, um, I, I have a better time with. Contagion, I have a better time with. Um, it, it's a film built on two performances which are very, very, very good. Um, but I, I do wish that it had, even though this was based on a book actually written by, um, Scott, um, Scott for, 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 Thorson, um, or co-written by him. I, I do, so maybe it's the book, but I do wish this had the courage and its convictions to actually attack a little bit more. Um, like the, the like the, the way that Liberace really fucks over the, yeah, the the other the, the the men in his life. Um, it, it it was kind of like it was threatening to, like there's that that bit towards the end where Matt Damon finds the uh the Liberace's book and it's like the voiceover of uh and Michael Douglas talking about how he um met his first love and it was that woman Sandy or Sonia whatever. Um, mm. and it was like I was kind of thinking then it was it was maybe going to go a bit more for the jugular. But instead, it is the tragic AIDS death where Michael Douglas, where Liberace tells Scott that he, like, you know, he's sorry or whatever. And it's, the third act was disappointing. Uh, Mm. But I I had a very, very good time with the first two acts. Um, I thought that for once, Soderbergh's soft focus yellow tinged cinematography made sense um i'm not a massive fan of his cinematography uh, uh an awful lot of the time i must say i know you said he makes good looking films i tend to disagree with that at least since he started shooting digitally um but i mean you can tell it's a soderbergh film but for once it, it felt subject appropriate or, or era appropriate um douglas i think is is tremendous yeah, he is very, very yeah, good. Yeah, uh, uh, like, fantastic. And I think Damon's pretty great as well. Um, and, I, I mean, like, th- this film's not eligible for Oscars, but I think for makeup, it should be talked about. Um, the operations that Scott undergoes, like, you could see that, it, like, the transformation in the face is crazy. Uh, mm. You know, like I, it, it, you can kind of see it a little bit prosthetic-y, uh, but then again, like the shininess to it. But then again, that kind of again, it fits. He, he, end, he ends up looking towards the end of it like a young Val Kilmer. Sure, sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and and the, the earlier the earlier Michael Douglas bits where he's very old and wrinkled um, are, are very good. And at first, I didn't recognise Dan Aykroyd for about the first three scenes he's in. Until I, at one point he said something, I thought, hang on a minute, that sounded like... Holy shit, it's Dan Aykroyd. Well, it's Dan Aykroyd playing Elliot Gould. It, 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 felt, it felt like that was yeah. meant for Elliot Gould, that part, I must say. Like, even, even yeah. with the glasses, I, I actually found that quite distracting. But he was good. Mm. Uh, Scott Bakula looks incredible for a man who's nearly six. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, so go on to Rob Lowe's weird face. Fucking amazing. Yeah, um, I was. That, that was a weird face choice. Like seriously, like there's a shot where he's performing the surgery where his one eye is like open and the other is kind of flickering. That mm. I just thought, 
like I don't know what Rob. The thing is, that kind of looks like it was just how Rob Lowe turned up to work. <laughs> you, you know, uh, we're, we're, uh, it's just absolutely mental. The stretchiness of his face and the general kind of just out of it um, uh, way of him, I thought was incredible. Just incredible. Yeah, uh, strange to see Nicky Cat do his usual bit of turn up and barely be recognised in a film. Um, was he like? He was the drug dealer. Matt Damon's mate, who he was like chatting yeah. to and like in his kind of, kind of paranoid kind of state. Yeah, yeah, okay, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that, that's, that's just Nicky Cap's thing now. It turns up for five minutes in movies, uh, doesn't really say a lot, but just kind of fucks everything up. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, like, I, 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 I very, I, I very much liked it. Um, you know, it got very good reviews at Cannes, but I don't think it won anything. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of basically up there. I, I'm exactly there. It's, it's very, very, very good, but it's not one that I, I'm going to be shouting from the rooftops. No, I, I, if it had continued being as good, like you say, for the first, if, if the, the, that last act just kind of, it just dropped it. it my issue with um, Contagion uh, was that it was very, very good. And then it ended. And I was going to say, oh, right. Oh, oh, okay. I could quite easily watch that for another 40 sure. minutes. And it just kind of ended. And I felt a little bit like this kind of went, it was very sort of pensive throughout the first bits and everything like that. And then it just kind of went, all right, here's all the end and it's done. Yeah. And it's like, Whoa, hang on a minute, go back, go back. You rushed through that bit quick. You know, the fact that the whole settlement bit um, yes. lasts, what, three minutes, two, three minutes? And, it, and, and, and the fact that afterwards it is just like cut and it's several years later and suddenly Matt Damon's all right again. Yeah, he, he, works, at a co- he works at a copying place and Liberat, he's got AIDS. And that's it. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. Like, the wrap up is is insanely fast, and that that I mean that that is a real shame because you know in in the third act they're barely on screen together, and, yeah. and it, it's just it's basically Matt Damon reacting to what Liberace is doing. You know, you know, I keep on saying Matt Damon, Lewis Scott, he's just reacting to what Liberace is doing, and Liberace is basically this kind of like kind of evil figure. Who's just fucking him over, but then it's never really called on that. And no, it, it, it's it's a little bit like um, we're just we're just viewing what happened. We're not inv- you're not you're not getting involved in anything sure. that's happened. You see, you see, like the 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 least amount you can see to make an opinion. It doesn't try and go beyond that. Um, and doesn't try and forcibly say, look, what Liberace was doing here was fucked up and it was a little bit weird. And so the, there's one scene in it where they mention and say at the uh, the settlement where they say, so he's going to adopt you. Yeah, so he'd be your father. Yeah, and you'd be having sex with yeah. him. No, the, the, um for that one little bit there and it lasts maybe 
40 seconds. And that, in a, in a movie like this, um, which should have had some uncomfortable tension in it, that, for me, was the only uncomfortable and tense bit in it, was that 40 seconds there. None of the rest of it was just trimmings. It was it was build up, and then the, the whole thing built up. And I have a serious problem with this. The whole thing was built up, and when it actually comes to it, the big sort of moment is Matt Damon sweeping stuff off a table, and it it's like really, is that what we've got, Matt Damon? doing the classic Hollywood I'm upset and affronted I'm going to sweep everything off this table in my life I have been upset and affronted a number of times, at no point have I ever thought I'm going to knock everything off this fucking table because that will make me feel better and any time it happens in a movie, my brain automatically goes, I don't think people do that I, I have not seen in a single instance ever in my life of somebody doing that and he does it about on like two tables and a worktop yeah uh, I mean it, it's it, I mean it, that, that is just the classic Hollywood language of alright well this has happened so it's either this or he's going to have an argument with him and you know I preferred the argument oh no sorry really, I would have preferred the argument as well but maybe it is just sticking to what the actual source material kind of said happened I suppose um, Possible, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I, I don't know. It just, I suppose. I mean, there, there's, there's not really a lot to say about behind the candelabra, and you know, considering the setup and and what it is, that's, I suppose, you know, that's that's kind of a disappointment in an odd way. Mm. Um, but like you say, I mean, like D- Douglas is is great. Um, I think he completely kind of disappears into the character. You never once think this is Michael Douglas doing this. And, you know, for such a, like, ridiculously ultra character as Liberace, it's it's testament to Douglas that it never feels like it's an actor playing this no, person. No, it, it, it never feels parody. Sure. It never feels like an impersonation. Um, he's, he's very... Um, the problem with this thing is, is this is the sort of thing that, in the wrong hands, Liberace would have been played by Nathan Lane, and it'd have been all fabulous, and it'd been all over the top, and it'd have been all, it'd have been ultra. Well, apparently Robin Williams was originally going to do it. Was he? You see that there, that there could could go two ways with Robin Williams. If you get Robin Williams, and you can get him sober for three months then you can get a really good performance out of it. The only problem is, is Liberace didn't have a beard. He did, but it was Betty White. Um, So you're not going to get a good Robin Williams performance because he can't grow a beard. And so what you'd get is you'd get Robin Williams doing a lot of cocaine and drinking a lot and then going out and doing like a gay version of more. Sure. Would have been what you'd have got. But, Douglas is very. He, he, he gets across the the flamboyance and the ridiculousness without making it seem. With, whilst also keeping the intelligence and the control that Liberace clearly had. You know, this is a guy who made an. You know, was an incredibly successful guy. You know, was during his lifetime was, you know, 
one of the wealthiest men in Hollywood. He was a money-making machine. Um, and, you know, he never really... You can't say that he, he, he ever hid his flamboyance, but he definitely hid his sexuality. Now, seems strange now, but we've got to remember that Liverarch became famous in the you know the fifties, yeah. where if he'd have come out as being an openly gay, you know, performer, then wouldn't have had a career at all. If he'd have come out and been an openly gay performer in the eighties, you know, then his career would have died a death. You know, it's only this is now. This is the time where actors can come out now and say, you know, I'm yeah. gay, or you know, and and. It, 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 it's a all oh, right, you know. It, it, it has that. We are hopefully at that. You know, there are still problems. I'm not saying it's all fine and actors can't do that, but it's not as big of an issue as it used to be, and like it shouldn't be at all. I frankly don't care. No, no. Well, no, no. Quite. I mean, I know in sports it's still a, like a major, um, uh, like a major issue. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's. I don't know. I mean, it, it just it would have been more interesting maybe to see the film kind of tackle that. Like at the end, where it, like first of all, it's like Dan Aykroyd trying to convince everyone that he died because of a reaction because of a watermelon diet. You know, mm. and like that 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 kind of thing. The, the way the, the way they had to hide things, and like there's I think there's some dark comedy in that in how ridiculous that kind of a lie is. You know, mm. and, and I mean that that bit at the beginning, which. Um, you know, you're just watching how camp it all is, and and, and Matt Damon says to Scott uh, Scott back, is it Scott back at that point? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's just like you know, you know, I can't believe they're 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 all reacting uh, to him like this, you know, because, because it's also gay, and he, it, they're just like back in like nobody here thinks he's gay at all. And that, you know, mm. that's a really good kind of like jaw dropping moment for the audience as well as it, it is for Scott. Even though I suppose in a way, you know, in the world of the film, Scott probably should have, would have already like, he'd know who Liberace is. Or is this supposed to be the mm. first time that like Scott has ever heard of Liberace? I think he, he's heard of him, but it, it's the whole, it's the whole thing of you've got to you've got to get your mind out of out of how we are now. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, um, this was pre-internet, pre pre-television channels. Essentially, you had a few channels, but it wasn't on twenty-four hours a day. You know, it's conceivable that he'd heard the name Liberace and heard about Liberace, maybe seen Liberace's movies, but had never seen a single image of Liberace when he was playing Vegas. That's conceivable. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of surprised. I think we had more mileage out of The Hangover. I think we did. Cause it, 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 the thing is, is, with a film like this, is it's it's very much a, a dual character study of um, of not even their relationship, but just of kind of Liberace's treatment of people is what this film was about. Um, and it, it's very, it's very hard to get into that. I think um, in too much depth because it very much is. It can be boiled down to the fact that he he treats them as toys, as pets, 
and once he's become bored of them, he moves on to the next one. And essentially, because they're all, you know, they're his employees. They're not, you know, Scott was never his partner. He was his employee. And it's as simple as once he's done with him, it's right, I'm going to get somebody else to fire. It's the equivalent of getting your mate to dump your girlfriend. That's true. That's true. I mean, even though I, I, I will say as well, though, I, I thought it was interesting, um, Scott, like the way that he constantly says that he's bisexual and he doesn't like... Uh, Game. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't like receiving, I was going to say, but fair enough. Um, <laughs> y- you know... Hey, I like the Hagamore three. I will go as bare as I want. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I like. I, I, you know, I thought that aspect was quite interesting, and like, and Liberace basically going off with other men because that was how he, like, he basically had to get his end away somewhere, somehow, <laughs> you know. And I, I, I like that stuff, and I kind of wish that was played up a little bit more as well. You know, it, it just like the the fact that. Yes, Liberace uses him like a toy, but Scott doesn't help with himself in kind of fulfilling that end of the relationship as well. Um, and I, I, you know, I thought it was kind of brave that they even went as far as they did with that. But it, you know, there, there were just avenues that I wish this film kind of went down. I suppose that it didn't, and in the end, it does go a little bit too straight biopic. And I, I think that's maybe my main issue with it, really. Like, they had the chance to do something different. And they do a lot, you know, there, there's an awful lot of different, in quote marks, stuff here. But in terms of the actual narrative, it is as straight as they come, weirdly. Yeah. Part it, of the it, yeah. It, it, it certainly is. I, I don't know. It, I just feel a little bit like it doesn't quite go as far as it could and it should. Yeah. I'm going to do a weird comparison here, but it's a little bit um, like Soderbergh's wanted to do a Oliver Stone-esque picture. You know where Stone does like the JFK and he did um, the Doors? (laughs) Where he does these, where he gets quite involved, and it becomes less about the, you know, the the public perception of these people, and it becomes more about what goes on behind all of yeah. that. But like, he started doing it, and then realised, shit, Liberace was so fucking guarded, and was so well protected and so smart to make sure he was that. We actually don't fucking know too much about it, and I don't want to go too far in case somebody sues me. Sure. I think that's fair. And it, it just felt like it, it, it was all surface and didn't quite, never quite got you. I don't know anything else about Liberace that I didn't already know going into this movie at all. And I just watched a two hour movie about his life. That. Or about a relationship with his life, and I know nothing else about him that I didn't know going into the movie. That I, I think that's fair, even though I think the kind of the interactions and, and the chemistry and, 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 and between the two make the film, even though, yeah, yeah. I think, I, I, I think that's a completely legit, uh, a, a completely legit complaint. Yes. Uh, I, I'm going to go for it and say, I, I don't, it's, this film is definitely not shit. 
but it's it's not as good as I hoped or expected it to be. And if this truly is, which I don't believe for a second it is, if this truly is Steven Soderbergh's last movie, then you know I kind of wish he'd you know given it up on the last movie. He had. I I will disagree with that. I'm glad if he did give it up, which again I don't believe either. I'm glad he went out with this and not side effects. Mm, I just don't. I just don't think it. I don't know. They just seem to be sort of missing from it for me. It's definitely not. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely not shit because it's, it it contains two fantastic performances. Uh, but I, I say I, I I finished watching it and I thought. I know nothing more about Liberace and um, the last sort of 20 minutes of that movie was, was pretty weak. Yeah, I, I, I think I liked it better than you. I, I, I was entertained throughout and those performances are great. Rob Lowe is mental. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, and like, I, I, I would watch it again, I, I, I will say. Whereas maybe side effects, I wouldn't rush out to see it again. Even I wouldn't rush out to see this again either. But um, I'm glad it's getting a big screen release over here and I hope people give it a chance. Yes. Uh, okay, brilliant. So uh, let's take a break and uh, do some promos and I'm going to get a glass of wine and then we will get straight into our one old, one new. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and hard cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just in, that's the third time though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. Alright, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. Alright, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, what can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. <laughs> uh, is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on him. You review all these exploitation, horror, comedy, cult, and often all around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one <laughs> That is one star too many. Let me tell you, the worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. Oh, that was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. Uh, I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. Okay, so uh, those were some promos for podcasts we like, and uh, let's get into it. Uh, it's time for One Old, One New. Mark, do you want to start us off, and uh, which one are you going to talk about first? Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to go for my one, 
one of because it's just it, it's just a quick one. Um, because I'll be honest, uh, my 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 old were pretty sparse this week. Sure. Um, because I watched two Hangover movies, and I don't want to talk about Hangover films because we just spoke about Hangover Part Three, um, and um, people probably aren't listening anymore because of that. Um, so the only other one I watched uh, is a film, which an old film called The Pool Boys, which I had actually seen, didn't think I had, but I only got halfway through it and thought I've seen this. Um, it's I have I have a weird soft spot for some reason, and well, no, I know the reason. Um, for Matthew Lillard films, and Matthew Lillard is a terrible. Wouldn't it make terrible movies? I don't think you know anyone could disagree with that, really. Um, but for some reason, my weird brain um, feels relaxed by Matthew Lillard movies, uh, <laughs> and it, it's the sort of thing where I can put on. You know, like I don't understand how people can can watch films while they're tidying up and stuff like that. Um, I can't do it. If I'm watching a film, I have to be sat down and watching that movie. Um, but with a Matthew Lillard film, because nothing's going to happen really, um, I can quite happily put a Matthew Lillard film on and kind of do the housework in that room while watching that movie or resort out my DVDs on Blu-rays and stuff like that. I can do stuff like that. Um, so I had a monotonous task to do the other night at home. And so I thought, right, I, I'm going to put on this. You know, it was it, it just started on Sky, and thought, fine, I'll that'll do. It'll be all right for background noise while I'm, you know, while I'm doing what I'm doing. Uh, it's called The Poor Boys, right? What it is is you've got Matthew Lillard plays a guy called Roger, um, and his nephew Alex uh, is been accepted into Harvard, and is you know one of those clean cut, absolutely straight laced kids. Um, and he's been sent to um, LA, um, Beverly Hills, to work with uh, a senator. Uh, when he gets there, it turns out the senator has been a bit naughty and uh, he's no longer in office, but he needs to work with him to get some kind of scholarship to go to Harvard, right? That's all dealt with within like two or three minutes. Um, Matthew Willard plays his cousin who lives out there who has told the rest of the family that he went to Harvard which he did but hasn't told them that he dropped out told them that he's qualified and he runs his big um, aquatic engineering company what he actually does is he's actually a pool boy um, and then what happens is Matthew Willard's Roger character gets kicked out of the apartment because they're spraying for bugs so decides that He's going to go and spend the time and basically squat at one of the homes of one of his very rich clients uh, who is away for the like six weeks or something like that. His neighbour comes with him who happens to be a hooker and they end up running a brothel, essentially. <laughs> right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> now, what does this sound a little bit like? And they have to run a brothel. A brothel, yeah. So you've got a, a young kid who's in school um, and he's, he's running a brothel for profit. Oh, Risky Business? Yeah. Oh, OK. It, it's very much like Risky Business. Now, this movie isn't very good at all. But in keeping with our crazy comedy bits, one of the neighbours 
um, of um, the rich guy that they're living at is Tom Arnold. Uh, it's one of these films where Tom Arnold plays Tom Arnold sure. in it. Uh, but it's like a, a weird kind of thing of Tom Arnold. So when Alex goes to clean Tom Arnold's pool, Tom Arnold, Arnold like, shoots him and attacks him uh, because Tom Arnold has been given a, uh, a fake police badge and has been told by uh, the commissioner of Beverly Hills that he's an honorary police officer. Um, and so you get this really crazy kind of Tom Arnold performance where he, he has lines like, he says what Alex says, you know, apparently there's um, some kind of uh, brothel around here. You don't know anything about that. Um, and he's like, oh, no, no, not, not nothing about it. And he's going, oh, that's a shame, that, because I'm kind of horny and kind of perverted and really quite lonely. And it, it's just, it's Tom Arnold's delivery of lines are just so seedy and horrible that it's actually quite amusing for these few bits that he's in it. But it, it's one of those films where I, it finished watching and I thought, I've now seen that film twice. And I doubt anybody else in the world has seen that film twice, including anybody that's in it. Yeah. You know, including get, the director. Including the director. <laughs> You know, when you get, um, when you see uh, interviews sometimes with actors uh, and they mention something, and they mention that they've never seen the film that they've been in yeah. sometimes, and you think, how? How have you never seen that, th- you know, that film that you were in? Um, and it's like this. I can see why nobody who is in this has seen it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen it twice. You um, do watch some shit. I know I say this every week, but Jesus, I, I do. But the, the thing is, is it's because a lot of like, I, I go, I'll go through periods like where at the moment I just don't have time. I have time to watch films. Uh, so the films that I'm watching are the films that I go to the cinema to see for the podcast, and the marathon things that I go for the podcast. I'm not just for some reason. The past sort of couple of months, I've not had the, the, the time on my own to sit down and watch movies. Mm. And when I have, like, I watched the two Hangover movies again, when normally I'd have watched something interesting <coughs> then. And I only watched this because it was on, you know, when I was watching, um, when I was tidying up. No, I wasn't tidying up. What was I doing? I was doing something. I can't remember what I was doing now. But it was really fucking boring. Oh, that's it. I was um, sorting out the Blu-rays. That, that's never boring. What? That's, no, that, that's not boring. But the, the, I, I, I did something, got halfway through it, and thought, I wish I'd started this. And it wasn't that. It was I had to create space for the Blu-rays by moving a lot of the DVDs off, and it just it ended up just being an absolute fucking nightmare. Oh, okay. And that was all while watching the Pool Boys. And so what I'll say to anybody out there um, if the pool boys if you're ever sat down and it crops up on sky and you think oh I'll give that a go don't just don't there's no point I've seen it twice nothing happens um, and there isn't even nice boobs in it or anything like that there's plenty in it but there's no nice ones so just don't alright don't well that was the worst one old one new entry ever <laughs> I'm just warning people. I could, I could have talked about the Hangover and Hangover Part 2. <laughs> That's fair. I'm going to lift things slightly, I think, now. 
Do you want me to lift things slightly, go on, Mark? Then. Go on, then. I'll talk, I, I usually I go into my one new, but I think we just need to have a discussion and buck up the energy a little bit. Uh, actually, no, I am going to talk about my one new. This is my one new. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, it is. It totally is my one new. A film I said I hadn't watched uh, last week or the week before. Uh, Waterworld. All right, yeah, <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, so let, uh, let's let's buck this up a little bit. So I, I said because you were talking about the postman, I said I'm I'm, I'm going to watch Waterworld. Uh, you know, I I like passed it over on Netflix a few times, but I was like, nope, gonna watch Waterworld. It took me three sittings to get can, through Waterworld. Say, did you literally? Did you literally start it the minute we finished recording? No, it finished just before we started recording again. It is incredibly long. Uh, yeah, um, it took me three separate sittings to get through Waterworld. And Donna actually said yesterday, she walked into the lounge and she was like, you're watching the Waterworld again? You've been watching this forever. <laughs> like, Donna literally just like came in and out a few times. She, she sat there, bless her, and watched it for like 10 minutes or so at one point. But like even Donna, like who hadn't been watching the film, said you've been watching this forever. Um, Warworld's only about two and a quarter hours long. You know, it, compared to some, some blockbusters these days, it, it, you know, it's, you know, it, it's not that long at all. I mean, it's shorter. Watch, the extended cut? Uh, I watched whatever the cut was on Netflix. Ah, uh, right. Not sure which one. Sorry? Not sure which one's on. Is it, is it the, uh, hour and 35, two hour 35 one? There's a two-hour, thirty-five minute version of Waterworld. Oh, there's a there's a there's a there's a two hours fifty-six minute version of Waterworld. Jesus Christ! Yeah. The thing that's, is, that's the version I've seen. Fuck me. <laughs> the, the thing is with Waterworld, there's quite a lot to like about Waterworld. It is basically Mad Max on water. It is, isn't it? But, but. It's basically Mad Max free on water, <laughs> and, and and that that's 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 the thing. It because like the 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 first act is pretty great. It's Kevin Costner as a proper anti-hero, like mm. he's a dickhead, but he drinks his own recycled piss, which is awesome. Um, you know, and he's he's kind of playing it like Snake Plissken. To start with, you know, and he's like, he's a man of few words, even though he's Kevin Costner, he's not Kurt Russell, he can't really get away with that. Um, and, you know, Dennis Hopper's there and he's mad and tyrannical. And, uh, you, you, you know, the kind of, the, the bartering stuff's pretty badass and the action sequence is pretty badass. And then he has to reluctantly take these two, uh, well, this woman and this girl on board. And then the second act is like the biggest downer ever because all it is is them having conversations floating in the middle of nowhere and then a guy comes along who's like you can tell he's a rapist from the very first moment he's on screen <laughs> and then what does he try and do um and you know every now and then it cuts back to dennis hopper talking about like the go juice like i love that they call petrol go juice that's awesome <laughs> It, it is, it is, that, that's like the way a crackhead described things. Yeah, yeah, exa exactly, and he's totally playing that. But I like the way that Dennis Hopper's character is building up the society by the fact, the fact that he's having these visions, 
you know, and like the way, like he's called the deacon and he's like the high priest. I kind of, I like that, you know, and th- th- there's an action sequence towards the end, which is pretty great. Like there's a fantastic shot of uh, the, the whole thing blowing up and these guys on speedboats just like riding out of this ho- these holes while on fire. Yeah, and, and and that stuff is fantastic, you know. So there, there's there is stuff to like about Waterworld, but Kevin Costner does not do anti-hero, and his arc from anti-hero to messianic figure is brutal. Um, do you know what? It, it is rem- remembering what happens in Waterworld. It is incredible how similar it is to the Postman. I, I, yeah, I kind of, I get that feeling, and I think I've only ever seen the trailer for The Postman. Um, but, like, it, it's like, it's stupid things, like the girl, the little girl, she's been captured by, uh, Dennis Hopper, and it's her, it's like a voiceover of her saying, he could stand behind you without you even noticing and snap your neck, you know, and, and like, she's building him up like he's this great hero, and it's just like, the only experience you have of Kevin Costner's character is him taking you for a swim, and other than that, being a dickhead who throws <laughs> you overboard at one point. You know, it, it, it's... But the, I, the thing is, the three-hour cut, I can imagine, would fle- like flesh out that relationship a bit more and would help... Yeah. Is the three-hour cut just more of the second act? Yeah. Yeah. That brutal. Yeah. Brutal. That would be brutal. The second act of Waterworld is bollock yogurt. The first act is fun. The third act is fun, even though, even though the bit where they think they've gotten away and then Dennis Hopper steal, steals the kid again. And then Kevin Costner literally bounces down, picks her up and then bounces back up again. It is just like, it, like, have they literally got no money left and they just need to think of the lamest way to end this and then just have people crash into Dennis Hopper and him blow up? It's, I cannot believe that this film was the most expensive film ever made at one point. I mean, like, I'm, uh, somebody said to me on Twitter afterwards that you can see it all on the screen. Can you? Where? There are moments like that. Actually, right. it, it, it looks it looks expensive, um, but the thing is, is this was a hundred and seventy five million dollar movie. That is men- in nineteen ninety five. That is mental. Jurassic Park cost less than Waterworld. Yeah, considerably less than Waterworld. I, I, the thing is, the logistics of shooting on water. Like, I get that that would add some expense. You know, I think Life of Pi, like, the budget for that was quite big because they had to, like, just film on a massive water tank. I can imagine the logistics of that are a nightmare. But, like, I I think uh, Swill I Am's on Twitter, uh, Simon Williams, nice guy, lovely, lovely guy. Yes. But he said the budget is all on the screen. And there are moments where the budget is on the screen. But there is a clear... At least, I would say, at the very least, an hour of the runtime of this film is a raft and people talking on it. And the thing is, the discussions they're having are not that interesting. It's um, it's 
Gian Triplehorn. When the fuck was she a leading lady in Hollywood? Wow, by the way. Um, she, she was for a very, very brief amount of time, and it happened to be this time. You know, actually, no, she won't, was she? No, she just no. doesn't. No, I was looking at it thinking that she didn't, I suppose she did Basic Instinct and The Firm and then went to do Waterworld. Like, bless her, she tries her best with this. No chemistry with Kevin Costner at all. And and it's basically her saying, why don't you like us? Because I'm a loner and I've got girls. You like <laughs> us a bit, don't you? You have your moments. Oh, you really like us, don't you? Yeah. That, on, that, 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 that takes about 40 minutes of runtime. <laughs> it, it, like, I, I just, the thing is, I didn't hate Waterworld at all, but it's not good. <laughs> Do you know what? That, your little thing there, that is basically my movie watching experience all the time. Which is, ah, oh, shit, that film was shit. I liked it though. I was just saying, do you know what? I was just saying to Donna this morning that, like, the thing I love about you, Mark, is that as long as a film entertains you, you'll still be alright with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so simple, it's untrue. And, and, and good on you for it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. I, I, I have just edited my, my review of Waterworld down from a 2.5 to a 2 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Because I, I don't like it more than I like it. But that, but that the two stars are very much earned by it. Yeah. That's Waterworld. Let's have your one new, Mark. Uh, my one new uh, is a, a a cinema release actually that right. we didn't get to cover. Um, I actually don't really know in too much detail your absolute thoughts on it because I haven't got to that episode. Excuse me. Of thirty five millimeter heroes, I'm a little bit behind. It is the uh, the Great Gatsby old spot, um, and I went to see this with with my missus. Um, I um, I'm not a huge Baz Luhrmann fan. Um, I really like Strictly Ballroom. Um, I think Roland Juliet's a very good film of its time. Um, I. Um, I enjoyed Moulin Rouge the first time I watched it. I tolerated it the second time I watched it. I didn't like it the third time I watched it, so I will never watch it again. Um, and Australia was just boring. Um, I, I didn't even Baz Luhrmann would admit Australia was boring. I was really looking... For, sorry, I, I, that makes it sound bad. I was really looking forward to Great Gatsby. Um, DiCaprio is on fire at the moment. Everything he does currently is great. Okay, Mulligan's been, you know, quite charismatic in everything she's done. You've got Joel Edgerton, uh, very good. Jason Clark, very good. Um, and Tobe Maguire's in it as well, which is always great. Everyone likes Tobe Maguire. Um, I've never read the book. Um, so I had no... I, I had sort of brief knowledge of what Great Gatsby was about. But we we, we won't do solid. spoilers for the Great Gatsby. We'll say that it's not a full review. So yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do spoilers um, for it. Um, my issue with it was, and I like 
Great Gatsby. I think it's very good, and I think it's very good for the fact that you've got a very, very good um, performance from DiCaprio at the centre of it, uh, and everything that revolves around him is very good. You've got some other good performances, but DiCaprio, it, it, he has a great gravitas now um, as as an actor and as a as a screen presence. He's it, it's so incredibly weighty having DiCaprio in your movie now he's become you know he's you you have um, movie stars and you have actors and every so often you have one that that manages to be both a movie star whilst also being you know an incredible actor it's like um, DiCaprio has recently said that after Wolf of Wall Street he's going to take a couple of years out because you know, he feels like he's done enough the past sort of five years, um, and that people might start getting bored of him, and it's better to go away and come back. You get the feeling that if in two years' time, when DiCaprio decides he wants to come back, he can literally call any director and go, um, "Yeah, I'm coming back," and they'll go, "All right, I'll find a part for you." Yeah, he, he's he's of that gravitas now, um, and. He worked magnificently. Tobey Maguire is very good in this, which is unusual because usually that it, the fact that his face has two expressions: child that's just got a puppy, and child that's puppy has just died, and that's the two facial expressions he's got. Sure. Um, Kerry Mulligan is very good, but it it it's like it's incredibly faddy. Um, yes. This movie. Yeah. Um, and it, it, for the first runtime, yeah, I get the fact that it was parties and parties, and I get that that it's supposed to have that in it. And remember, I'm talking mm. about the film. I am no, I'm not talking about the book. I'm talking about the film, the two hours that I saw. So people say, "Oh, the book's got all these parts." I don't care. I wasn't reading the book. I was watching the film. Um. And the problem is, is I wanted to know what was happening at the parties, but Lerman just wanted to show me the parties. And with this film, it, it, it's like Baz Lerman has made this incredible cake, and it is used the absolute finest ingredients, and he's made this amazing-looking cake, and has presented it to people and gone, "Look, here's this cake I've made," and you, everyone's gone, "Oh my god, that that." That looks amazing. That cake is astonishing. It's 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 brilliant. I bet it, you know it's the sort of cake where you look at it and go, God, that's gonna fucking taste great. And he's got it. Wait, it's not finished. And you've gone, oh, what's next? And he's just he's just gone a pack of Haribo and some Tantastics and a piece of fudge. And then we're gonna put some hundreds and thousands on it. And there you go. There is my diabetes cake. Mm. And it, it just got in the way of what was actually a really, really good film. The things that, all the bits that made it great, the, the Baz Luhrmann's, the way he's captured everything, and the way he's pieced the story together, and the, you know, his designs and everything like that, are what made this film a great film, as well as the performances. But then the fact that he has to turn it up to 11 are the bits where you go, do you know what? Fucking hell. Like, there are enough great jazz songs 
without having to do fucking Beyonce songs as jazz songs. I actually, Becky told me afterwards that I audibly, once I noticed it was a Beyonce song, I audibly went, oh. Yeah, I, I did the same when um, the Andre 3000 Back in Black cover yeah. was on. Like, and that that as well. And it was just really, oh, it, I, just that faddiness, that aching to be cool and to be liked. Well, it's it, it's executive producer Jay-Z. It, it's, is it? It's that influence. Yeah, he, he was an executive producer. Oh, I, 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 I didn't know that, but it, that, that kind of makes a lot of sense. And it, visually, it looked, almost great the the problem is is it, it looked far too artificial and i get it that's the point it was it, it, i'm guessing it's supposed to look like it was all done on a computer but you know the fact that there was these great like shots of these palatial houses or even the shots where he's looking out from his pier there you know you're talking about a film with a budget of over a hundred million dollars. I'm sure they could have found a pier with a nice fucking view without having to digitally render it all. It just it felt a bit garish at points, and I accept the fact that I am being so contrived by saying that a Baz Luhrmann film called The Great Gatsby felt garish, but it just felt like all that got in the way of what everybody else was doing that was so much better than what when, like, like, when the film's quieter it, it's, it's great brilliant. Yeah. The, the scene where Joel Edgerton is questioning Gatsby essentially in, um, in that room or yeah 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 it's great yeah that's that's great because because it's boiled down to two actors facing off against each other, two very, very good actors as well. And Edgerton gives as good as he gets as well, it must be said. He's, oh, he, he stands pretty toe-to-toe with DiCaprio. Yeah, he, he does. And, you know, and DiCaprio is a force of, of charisma in this. Um, and it, it, it just... I'm just... People say about um, Tarantino that if he had somebody, and I, I don't agree with it, if he had somebody to kind of go, whoa, 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 Quinton, no, just slow down a little bit, and maybe not that bit. And he had somebody just to add that little bit of control and calm that he'd make better films. Now, I don't agree with that, but I'm going to be a hypocrite and say that I think that if, Baz Luhrmann had somebody who could kind of go, Baz, 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 yeah, well, just maybe inch it down, just a notch, and you'll still, you'll still get your point across, and you'll still be cool, but, you know, it'll make more sense, and it won't give people a headache. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's totally fair, bud, to be honest. Um, I mean, like, the first 40 minutes of this film, for me, were a bit of a nightmare, um, it, it's, yeah, you know, it's, I, I mean, I mentioned this on, on Heroes as well, but, um, DiCaprio's entrance, I won't, I won't mention cir- the circumstances unlike, uh, unlike I did on Heroes, but it's almost a meta thing where it's the film and the audience saying, he's here! Woo! We can actually mm. start the film now. Yes. 
you, you know, and it's it's spectacular. I love, I love his in, introduction in this film. I fucking love it. In in such a fourth wall breaking way, I think it's a really ballsy choice, and and I I think it pays dividends there. Decisions like that pay dividends. Decisions like, uh, and, and actually, um, decisions like having that Jay Z song playing where they pass that car with the the, the people in it, and they've got the moe in there as well. Mm. I, I kind of liked that moment for just how odd it was, uh, but. Yes, the Beyonce song and the Back in Black. I mean, the, the Lana Del Rey song, I'm not a massive, massive fan of Lana Del Rey in general, but I think that song kind of works. That that can kind of work. But then again, it, it I, I don't know that song that much out of the context of what I saw it sure. in here. Yeah. Whereas Back to Black and the Beyonce song, which I can't remember even which song it's it was. It's Crazy in Love, wasn't it? Crazy in Love, yeah. Those songs, I know them. I couldn't escape them. And now they're doing that. And it just felt like, you know, you're... It, it, it's, the, it's the Baz Luhrmann thing. I know it's part of his thing. But it's just really, you know, you're doing a, a film that's set in this time and you're wanting to pay homage to this time. Then don't have the ridiculousness of, you know, of making it a hip-hop film. And that's what it felt like at points. I didn't know if Jay-Z was a producer, to be honest. Um, but it did feel like, oh, look, it was so hip-hop. The fact that there's hip-hop in it, actual hip-hop in it, in the, what, 1920s. And it, it's like, really? The fuck off. Well, Sorry, I mean, but... it's, it's, it's the whole kind of, like, trying to make it feel... Modern. modern, like the yeah. people in the film actually find it modern as well. But you've got that clashing with DiCaprio and Mulligan and Edgerton and Maguire, who are doing very much in the Great Gatsby world performances. But then you've got these affectations that feel like they were thought of in post-production. Mm. You know, that, 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 that really... Like I've I've got to be honest, I don't think when they were filming this, they knew they were going to have like Beyonce doing Crazy in Love or Andre oh. Three Thousand doing fucking Back in Black. It all feels like it was put it, that stuff was put in after the fact because the actors are giving it straight yeah twenties. You know, you get the feeling that the actors thought they were doing, they were making the Great Gatsby. Yeah, and then Baz Luhrmann obviously thought. No, we're making Baz Luhrmann's The Great Gatsby. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so many people seem to love this book, and you've essentially, the fact that he's not even called fucking Baz, his name's Mark, for Christ's sake. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah, his name is Mark Anthony Luhrmann, right? Sorry, you're in your 50s now, drop the fucking stupid nickname. It's the G thing all over again. Um... It just, I did feel at the end of it, I I enjoyed that to a point, but I felt very let down by it. And my overarching feeling at the end of it was, just fucking grow up. Let's move on. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, cool. Um, yeah, so uh, that was it for One Old, One New. And let's kick into our Double Demi Marathon. I'm looking forward to this, I must say. Um, 
Here's a clip from Who's the Man featuring Dennis Leary um, uh, chewing out uh, <laughs> Dr. Not That One Dre. Yes, not that one. Do you guys know what happened today at 436? Do you have any idea what happened today at 436? No, you have no idea. Let me tell you. Tony Clams got shot. They got fucking shot. Yes. Only by the grace of God is he still alive. You guys are supposed to be watching him. You fuck me. You fuck me. You might as well kiss me because you're fucking me. Where were you guys? Where the... Is that jelly? Did I smell? The beer cream? Bagels? Give me the clap. that clip from who's the man um yeah man. okay so this is uh ted demi's de- uh, debut film uh released by new line cinema um oh do you know what i didn't talk about my one old no you didn't sorry go back go back no do, do you know what fuck it it was django unchained um it was either that or start or return of the jedi django unchained it, it's awesome it, it's it really great is. And the Blu-ray sounds and looks terrific. I've not watched my Blu-ray yet. Mate, seriously, like, through my 5.1, the bass is insane. Mm. It, it are brilliant. Not, not watched my Blu-ray yet. It, 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 it's sat nicely in its little protective steelbook case. I, I, I also own the steelbook. It is, yeah. it is a thing of a beauty. Come to the dark side. Yeah, defo. Uh, but yeah, no, Django Unchained, uh, terrific. Um, I have, I actually have no problems with Django Unchained. It's my second favorite Tarantino behind Bastards, and uh, I've decided that now. I it was tying with Pulp Fiction, but at this moment in time, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, DiCaprio, Fox, the style of the thing. Uh, the third act, which I, well, not the, well, the, the post shootout, uh, I mm. love that section. A lot of people have problems with that section. I love that section. Um, yeah, I, I, I do as well. And it, it still, still disgusts me, um, that who did that to you didn't win best original song at the Oscars. That, what didn't, sorry? Uh, who did that to you, uh, the John Legend song. Uh, I, I must ask, where, where, which part of the film was that in? That's the, you know, the bit where you get the silhouette um, to, you know, where he blows up Tarantino, essentially. Oh, and then, and then he, um, silhouette. He, kind of, he, he comes in to get Brunhilde. Yeah. And it's his silhouette. Oh, yeah, that, that song is fantastic, yeah. actually. Well, that was, that was written 
for that film by John Legend. Oh, really? Nominated for... And wasn't nominated for Best Original Song. And it, it, it is... It is infinitely better than that Adele song that they bunged the word Skyfall into. Skyfall crumble. Delicious. Skyfall. Skyfall. Skipple. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll, uh, uh, frankly, I know we'll talk about Django Unchained in our review of 2013 show, which, uh, you know, considering it's going to be at the end of the year and uh, my kids due on the, the 13th of December, when we're going to fit that in, I don't know, but we'll, we'll try at some point. Um, uh, and I, I suppose it's worth saying as well, uh, I'm assuming people listen to Heroes uh, or follow me on Twitter and don't listen to the, uh, this independently, but... Uh, uh, my wife's pregnant, yay. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> that's about it. Um, uh, so, uh, who's the man? Um, heard Dennis Leary there, even though he's not in it that much. Uh, Ted Demi's debut uh, from 1993 uh, from New Line Cinema. Uh, New Line Cinema basically being the purveyors of um, urban uh, American cinema at the time i think it's uh, i think it's fair to say they they, they certainly um released quite a lot and uh, that's good for them and uh it's tagline on the poster the the first hip-hop who done it uh even though i wouldn't say it's really who done it um at all uh who's the man mark yes what do you think um there was a spate of these kind of um films in the the early 90s um where you got a lot of um let's be honest black culture movies um you know you had films like um boys in the hood was the late 80s then you had sort of like new jack city um even stuff like abel ferrara's uh, king of new york uh, juice menace of society and films like this uh and this kind of feels like it, it it's a comedy that fits within those uh, but it's actually got some quite quite serious undertones actually it's quite strange it's not it wasn't as zany as I expected it to be uh, it's by no means fucking serious or anything like that but um, it, you know it's not as crazy as I as I expected it to be um, you know it, 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 it tackles the idea that you know, that Harlem is seen as this place that has to be renovated and it has to be it has to be kind of turned round, you know, without actually looking at the people that actually live there and that it's kind of the thing of, yes, you know, there is a drug problem, there is a crime problem, but there is actually an element of, of community there and that these problems are built out of maybe other things. Um, you've got Two kind of actors, you know, in Dr. Dre, not that Dr. Dre, and Ed Lover, who I love the fact that they are just themselves, essentially, yeah. in the film. Um, which, again, is something that you get a lot of times with comedy films like this, where they have their actual names. Um, and they're both, you know, they, they're not laugh-out-loud funny, but they throw out kind of amusing lines every now and again, and if you're into sort of hip hop from around the time, you get people sort of popping up like Naughty by Nature pops up, but Buster Rhymes creeps in, Ice T's there, Criss Cross are in but it. My favourite bit was Flavor Flav 
yeah, flavor. The fact that he is just flavor flavor as well. Some of them, like naughty by nature, is naughty by nature. Buster Rhymes plays somebody. Ice T plays somebody. Crisscross play somebody. Flavor Flav just comes in in the Flavor Flav garb, and Ed Lover goes, "You right, Flav?" <laughs> and it's like, what? Why would he even know Flavor Flav? And and also, the, yeah, no, totally. And the fantastic bit where they play that scene with the detectives. With the detectives. Why? What the fuck? With the detectives, and then right at the end of the scene, he's just like, "Hey, you look like Run DMC." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, well, there was some great like homages. There was a, there was a taxi driver homage in this film, mm. which was brilliant. Um, and there was, you know, the strange thing is, is beyond all this it, in this film, you can see a proper director. Yeah. Um, in this, you know, it it looks really good, and the. The non-comedy bits, the more dramatic bits, are really well done. And there's a style to it which kind of elevates it. You can see, certainly, that, that you know, Ted Demi, why he ended up going on and making some, you know, sort of the films that he made. Uh, what did you think about Who's the Man? Yeah, I, I had uh, a fun enough time with this, uh, I must say. Um, it, I... I, I I, I paused it about 10 minutes in. I had to look on IMDb because I assumed it was Dr. Dre. You know, and, ah. um, uh, and when he first came on screen, I was thinking, fuck me, Dr. Dre lost some weight. Good on him. You know, and then it was like, hang on a second. I, you know, Googled it and no, apparently this Dr. Dre was an ex MTV VJ. Um, but yeah, I, I, I liked, I, I liked the relationship between the two. Um, I mean, the plot, that, that, that how they get into the police is as threadbare as it fucking comes. Uh, I thought that was kind of hilarious. Like they're they're trying to be concert promoters, and, and then they just get all their money stolen by armed robbers, and then cut to them doing the police entrance exam. I thought that like, and, and, yeah, you, you know, and then they're doing the exam, and then one of them just says, "Oh, I just wrote abra- like I just wrote abracadabra on every single answer or whatever," and then and, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, and just because like the the captain owed their patriarch figure a favor, they got in anyway. It just it's so fucking threadbare that it, it it's it was almost like Doctor Dre and Ed Lover actually uh, uh, said in the scripting stage. We don't want to be seen as being the type of people who would actually become police officers because that would ruin our street cred. Uh, they, they apparently, um, they were literally writing it as they were shooting it. And that they had, does not surprise they, me. They had a start, a middle, and an end, but they didn't have anything in between. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think that's probably the reason why you get all these cameos. You, um, you get that kind of like the half-hearted love interest woman who pops up in a few scenes, but what? She's not even really a love interest. She's just uh, a woman who turns up. You know, I like the fact that every so often a woman turns up and slaps Ed Lover, saying, "Why are you telling people that I'm sleeping with you?" Yeah, um, it, it's, it's it's quite amusing the fact that that keeps on happening. Yeah, exactly. But but then I mean, like you've got. These other characters around. I mean, Dennis Leary. The, the <laughs> one bit I proper cracked up, and I think I, woke, I watched this in bed last night, and I think I woke Donna up because I was laughing so hard. There's a shot, and this goes to, to Demi's direction as well, I must say. 
there's a shot where Dennis Leary's face kind of comes into frame from the left, and Dr. Dre is there <laughs> in the right. And Ted Demi just, oh, not Ted Demi, Dennis Leary just looks at him and he goes, hi. And then just like immediately starts chewing him out. And the one, that one bit where Dennis Leary just goes absolutely fucking mental. Have you ever seen, um, No Cure for Cancer? No. It makes me want to, I must say. No Cure for Cancer is a, it's basically a stand-up. Yeah, yeah. But it's a stand-up, Dennis Leary's stand-up directed by Ted Demi. He he directs it. And it is is a very, it's a very stagey performance. Well, all right, stop that there. Why don't we do that as the next Ted Demi bit then? We can do if you want. It's the the film before this, but we can do that. What? Fuck. No, my OCD won't allow it. Right. What, honestly, um, watch No Cure for Cancer because it, it, it's a funny stand-up film. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 the film that he did before this. But it features it, you. You get to see more of that side of Dennis Leary. Brilliant, good. That that is absolutely up my street. Just the the great moments bit. of him and the donuts. The donuts. Which uh, said to Ed Lover, we'll get a donut. And the fact that Ed Lover then starts to play it by going, can I go and get a donut? He's like, yeah, of course you can. And the fact that he's never explained. Yeah. He doesn't, you know why it is. And you keep expecting him to say to Dre, it's because you're fat. But he never says it to him. It's yeah. the fact that he quite clearly doesn't like him because he's fat. But he quite clearly quite likes Ed Lover. But also... The fact that he knows that if he's na- the nicer he is to Ed Lover, the more he's going to upset Dre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he keeps getting the names wrong as well on purpose by calling him Louvre or Lava and Dry. I, I mean, there's the uh, there's the one bit where they're walking out and um, like he's telling him about the kind of donuts they have, and he's like, "Yeah," and they've got the the straight ones with the cream in the middle, and you just hear Doctor Dre going, "Oh, oh." <laughs> 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 like, those those moments are fantastic. Uh, I, I like really, really are. And I mean, in, in terms of uh, Ted Demi as well. I mean, the, the the one scene that kind of stuck out for me was um, when the, the the barber is uh, well, he has been murdered. It's kind of the reveal of that, and it's yeah. like it's dark and that fan swooshing about, and it's like the zoom in on that photo of them. And um, even that, I mean, I, I really, I really, really liked that and how dark that got. And like you say, it's not all fun like funny all the time and it does have those moments i mean yes the acting is kind of brutal throughout and i'll never i'll never watch this film again i might youtube the dennis leary scenes um but i i'd never watch the whole film again but it is fun it is fun watching a police car get like pimped out and people just dance around it like that bit where the other two cops are in it they press the button and then like the suspension starts bouncing and those people are just dancing around it and whatnot it's it is entertaining that it is an entertaining film and i don't mean that in an ironic way i genuinely had fun just watching the events mm. it's a uh... yeah I, I i it's definitely not shit yeah definitely uh, not shit and i i had, i had a lot of fun with it 
Uh, but like I say, I, I can't see me watching it again. No. But yeah, it, there's definitely there's definitely signs of, of, of Ted Demi being a, a proper, you know, director. Yeah, I, I I would definitely say yeah, I would definitely say so. It's um, it, it's it's a damn fine st- uh, starting block for his first big screen film. Mm. And uh, what I also will say is, I have actually um, downloaded the um, soundtrack since this. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, it's a good soundtrack. Uh, because I will listen to the soundtrack because I'm a big fan of early nineties hip hop. Um, also, as well, this film, this film actually made some money, actually. Oh, did it really? It made, like, 11 million box office US. Oh, I can't imagine the budget was that much more than that. No, uh, which, you know, I mean, it probably made, a, probably made quite a bit on a home video. I'd imagine so, yeah. I mean, I hadn't heard of this before last week, but I, I could definitely see that being the case. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, like, they're definitely not shit. Yeah. And uh, I think maybe next week for the next Jonathan Demi bit, keep it on the music track. Um, fancy doing Stop Making Sense? Uh, which one's that? Give me two seconds, I'll get to it. Stop Making Sense, where are we? Am I on the right one? Is it stop? Oh, I'm starting to fucking doubt myself now. This is fun. I think people are still shouting at us about our hang uh, mm. up thing. Yeah, Stop Making Sense, the Talking Heads concert film. Oh, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, can definitely do that, yeah. Cool. Right, cool. I wonder why that isn't on his... Um... What, Demi? Yeah. Jonathan Demi, it's on his IMDb. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm on the other website. Uh-huh. I'm on Wikipedia. Um, have we got any questions? We can start with that while I look for this. Uh, let me have a look. Sure, we do. Uh, uh, one. We got one. I thought we had a couple. We had a couple sent out throughout the week. Oh, did we? Yeah, from broken hallucinations. Oh wow. I know, that's a fucking Twitter one, that one, isn't it? When's the interview? What? No, no, it's a different one. It says, um, would you rather be a red shirt or a stormtrooper? A uh, stormtrooper. Stormtrooper. Lots of arguments with people. What else have we got? We've had some today, haven't we? Oh, uh, uh, Tim Stroker, Mike, have you and Ian Laurie ever mouth kissed? Oh, yeah, I don't remember it, but apparently we have. Yeah, we played Gay Chicken at your stag night. We both won. That would totally make sense that it was at my stag. Was it the Friday or the Saturday? The Friday. Oh, God, was it? Shit, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. That, uh, that, was, that was the night I thought nightclub bouncers had to behave like beef eaters and I was stood behind a, a rope saying ah, you can't get me you can't get me and then the guy just pushed me on the floor 
know what it was? Oh, crap. Um, and then we've got one from Tom, very cinematic. Uh, what was the worst you've ever been spoiled for a film or TV show? Or we'll just cover film there. What's the what's the worst spoiler you've ever had? Uh, Shutter Island. Someone um, spoiled uh, Shutter Island for me on Twitter um, just because I was talking about how I didn't want to be spoiled for Shutter Island and somebody did that to me. And I believe I called them a prick and blocked them. Good on you. Fucking ass. And so they actively actually spoiled it for you when you said you didn't want it to be Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I straight up was talking about how I didn't, well, I didn't want to find out anything about Shutter Island and then someone... Uh, spoilers for Shutter Island. Yeah. Uh, said something like, uh, uh, DiCaprio's the patient and he has a lobotomy. Oh, what a fucking prick. Yeah. Jesus. Um, ooh. Which one have I, which film have I massively spoiled? Oh, uh, Seven. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Yeah, someone fucking told me. This is pre-internet as well. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, somebody fucking told me um, where I was talking to somebody. Um, it was at school, uh, and I mentioned that I was watching Seven that night, um, and they said, oh, uh, my dad watched that at the cinema. Apparently, it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box. Oh, shit. I think. Thinking, alright, what box? What box? It wasn't was it was his wife's head in the box, they said. And then, of course, once it got to it, and they brought the box out, I was like, great. So, it, luckily, to be honest, it didn't spoil my enjoyment of it. Um, I, I, I want to think that I think you will get more enjoyment if you don't know a spoiler. But I don't necessarily think it absolutely destroys your enjoyment if you do know it. What I but what I prefer is I don't like being told there's a twist in a movie. I don't like and this is a marketing thing. People who market a twist in a movie. Yeah. Um, I don't like that. Um, like I had, I, I had a big problem with the whole Shutter Island thing. Of people saying, I've said it before, of people going, oh, the twist was easy to work out. I was like, what twist? What yeah. twist? Yeah, yeah. There, is, there is no twist. And I've sat down and said, right, so you worked out if a story follows a linear path and gets to the end without tricking in any way, and that ending makes sense and it hasn't been twisted or anything like that, that's not a twist. That's just the way it is. And the fact that Shutter Island, at two separate points, explains itself. It actively tells you what's happening. And yet, people are still go along with it. And that's the expert in the filmmaking of Shutter Island. I think that's... The, well, that's interesting. Because, I mean, I, 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 I like your reasoning there. But, I mean, with Shutter Island, I think it does... It does do quite a few things to try and um, to try and bury the lead, you know. I mean, at one point it gets straight up confusing. Like Mark, I I I I, I seem to remember the one bit where um, the wind's howling and they they go into that mausoleum and Mark Ruffalo is like proper 
sketched out and being, you know, why why the fuck is this all happening? I suppose it could be because he's trying to lead Teddy onto that, um, onto his way of thinking. But it's still like I can't help but uh, seem to remember some of the stuff that he says in there is a little bit doesn't quite make sense given the character. But uh, that, that's that's a fair point, I think. And as well, then you've got later on because I can't remember the first one. Cause it's been a while since I last watched it. There's a first one where there's one bit where it gets explained what's happening. I can't remember who it is that explained it. I think it might have been Mark Ruffalo. But then there's another bit where you get um, Jackie O'Haley, who actively... Oh, he actually spells it out. Yeah, he yeah. tells the audience. And that's the, that is actually the second thing that happens. He tells the audience what's happening. And he spells it out. Yet you're still not sure. Because what what the film has done is it's made you think, oh, what's up? so which one's real? While all the time basically telling you, he's the patient. You know, the whole, the fact that, that there's so many links. When you watch it afterwards, knowing, it's like, ah, oh, fuck it, that is so obvious. Yeah, sure. On the second viewing. But the first time, it's so well choreographed by Scorsese, and that's why Scorsese is Scorsese, because he's that good. We, I just met, uh, I mentioned earlier on as well. Uh, Mark and I will have a discussion about that uh, at Broken Hallucinations. Um, uh, Broken Hallucinations. Sorry, I do apologise. Uh, I've just found the email in the Do the Monkey uh, Gmail inbox. Uh, appear to have um, missed it. My apologies, uh, but uh, Mark and I will have a discussion about that one. Uh, so, uh, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, so next week we'll do uh, the next part in the uh, uh, Double Demi Marathon we'll do Stop Making Sense uh, next week in cinemas I think the two potentials we've got are Byzantium and The Purge uh, it's a bit of a quieter week at the cinema in the UK this week Mark you got a preference between the two um, one of them has Gemma Arthur and an underwear in it and one of them doesn't right we'll be doing Byzantium next week then folks yeah. Uh, so that's Neil Jordan's latest. Uh, it's. Uh, oh God, I didn't know that. What? Neil Jordan. Uh, it'll be. Uh, I have issues with Neil Jordan movies. <laughs> okay, well we. That sounds like material for next week then. So uh, I was yes, literally it, just it, about it, to say it's Neil Jordan's oh, latest. Go on, go on Neil Jordan's IMDb page. It looks like a mugshot. Oh, go on then. Ah, oh, God. Ah, oh, he's done some miserable films. Oh, it does look like fucking Muckshaw as well. It does. It looks as interesting as his movies. Oh, well, I, God. Yes, we'll, get, we'll do that. We'll do that, because there could be some fun had. Yeah, okay, cool. Sounds good to me. So, uh, we'll do Byzantium, we'll do Start Making Sense, and we'll do our usual stuff as well. Uh, it's been a long one, so I'll just quickly say dude and the monkey at gmail.com, at Ian Loring, at dude, Foz, at dude and a monkey. Uh, iTunes reviews appreciated. Mark, anything else? Um, sorry that I liked Hangover Part 3 so much. Um, I hope you're still with us. Um, I'll get back to watching stuff that, um, will be universally liked now. <laughs> that is good. Uh, and I think that will just about do it. Thank you very much, folks, and have a good week. Bye-bye. Cool. Cheers. Cool. Nice. It's Tuesday. It's Monday. 
everything it's Sunday all day. Yeah, no, I'm totally there as well, mate. I know what you mean. Cool. Uh, that money should be in. They promised it'd be it'd be in your account tomorrow morning. Oh, cool. What what happened with that? Was it then? Was it? Yes, we've had this thing. It's been ongoing. It's not all payments, but every so often we make payments. They go into what's called a holding account. Oh yeah, okay. And then they get stuck in this holding account. But the problem is, is it goes out of our account, so we think it's gone. Yeah. And then we get back to them. They go, oh yeah, sorry about that. And it's the the thing is, is it's happened. Transferring across to you guys. Um, our car is in Becky's dad's name because. He gets his cars from there every year, and he got a better discount when he bought our car. Yeah. So our car's in his name, and every so often it happens with that, and it happened once with our rent. Oh shit. Uh, where our rent went across, but our landlord didn't ring us until three months later to tell us one of our month's rent payments had been paid, but of course had gone out of our account, and he was been a right prick about it and saying, "Are oh, you three months behind on your rent?" I was like, "No." We're three days behind on our rent. Yeah. We've paid you three months' rent since then. Yeah. And last month was technically due three days ago. So we're actually three days. No, it's three months. I can, I can, I can legally kick you out. Like, right. No, you can't. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you've just broken the law by saying you can legally kick us out. And it ended up... Well, actually, no, it's not even our landlord. He's our property manager. Our landlord is a lovely guy. Uh, but our property manager is a prick. So, yeah, we ran at the bank and they said, oh, we can't do anything about it uh, until after the bank holiday, but we'll get sorted first thing Tuesday. Oh, solid, man. Yeah, no worries. I I, I knew it would be something like that anyway. It's all good. It's, it's fucking HSBC, man. Uh, uh, is that who you're with? I just kind of assumed you were with Nationwide because of Bex's job. No, it, it's our main accounts with HSBC and they're shit. <laughs> <laughs> really are shit. Cool. Um... Yeah, right. Well, uh, next weekend, buddy. Yeah, man. Again, yeah. Massive congratulations on the baby. Ah, oh, cheers, dude. Thank you. Uh, cool. Need to get your address off you, actually, because I've bought you a little something. Not you a little something. I've bought the baby a little something. Oh, bless you. Oh, yeah, no worries, man. I'm sure I can sort that out. Cool. Right. Catch up soon, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Take it easy, man. Take care, man. Bye. Bye.